Welcome to the British Professional Life is Better Filtered podcast series, in which we interview key influencers in the world of food service and hospitality about the main productivity challenges kitchens face, as well as solutions of how to tackle them. For this episode, we met in London with Kate Nichols, Chief Executive of UK Hospitality. UK Hospitality was formed in early 2018, uh, when the British Hospitality Association and the Association of Licensed Multiple Retailers were merged. Kate previously worked as its Strategic Affairs Director and Head of Communications. We had a very interesting conversation with Kate, in which we touched upon the current challenges faced by the hospitality industry, such as recruitment, retention and training, as well as the role that government has to play in making hospitality a more attractive career to young people. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello, Kate. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. How are you this morning? I'm pretty good this morning. It's the sun shining. It's crisp and clean outside. It's a good day. Good. Excellent. Uh, Before we get into sort of the specifics of the things we're going to talk about, just tell us a bit about yourself and your background and how you arrived at the role that you currently do. Well, my background is is politics and hospitality. So I've managed to make a career out of combining the two things that I really find fascinating and and passionate about. So um, I'm a frustrated journalist. Uh, When I graduated, that's what I was going to be. I was going to be the next Kate Mm AD. I graduated in the graduate recession in 92 and was told to go away and get some experience before I could go and do my one-year traineeship. Um, And I fell into politics and I never left. So I started in the House of Commons in the European Parliament and I was doing a lot of uh, reports and research in those uh, institutions about hospitality issues, food issues in particular, and was recruited by Whitbread to go and um, join them. And I've been in hospitality ever since. You're obviously passionate about what you do mm. does that passion where's that seeded is that is that what what about the industry excites you so much well I think it's just such a fun sector to work in I mean it's one of the most innovative dynamic vibrant sectors that I've been involved in and, and I have worked in other sectors throughout my corporate life but um, I always come back to hospitality and I've always worked in hospitality as part of it the people in it are so sharing and and warm and supportive and collaborative if you go and work in other sectors you know retail or or manufacturing there's an element of of harsh competition but it's a very nurturing sector in hospitality and i think it's fundamentally because it's a people industry it's the people who matter it's the people who are selling the experience we're not a product-based industry Um, and that's what keeps me going and keeps me passionate about what i'm doing within within your role so relatively i mean we can talk perhaps if there's time about about the evolution of UK hospitality. Mm. But um, what what have you what have you achieved in your role that that gives you pride? What do you what are you proud of? Well, if, if you're talking about my current role, I've, I've been in post sort of six months since UK hospitality has been formed. The thing that I'm most proud about um, over the course of the last six months is that we've got the recognition we deserve within government. So we now have hospitality. M- being asked for comment and being involved in number 10's weekly briefing sessions so making sure that we're getting the hospitality the respect it deserves as the third third largest private sector employer um, and industry um, and making sure that hospitality is recognized prior to that i think you know there, there were big changes the big challenges that came down the the road for hospitality in the form of business rates and national living wage we weren't able to stop it but last year when we were campaigning on some of those issues we did get concessions from the treasury and saved the sector 1.5 billion so i think you know if you look at what's happening on the high street it would have been far far worse had we not had those successes last year talking figures then you're the voice of a sector that generates 130 billion pounds revenue each year mm. and as you allude to employs nearly three million people 
Um, does that does that cause a pressure? Do you feel the weight on your shoulders of representing such a significant part of the economy? It's not a weight, it's a huge privilege. I mean, they are a fantastic bunch of people who are employed in our sector. They make people's daily lives better in innumerable ways, and they touch people from breakfast right the way through to late-night drinks, whatever kind of consumer you are. Um, so without them, the wheels of the economy wouldn't run smoothly. Britain would be a different place culturally, socially, and economically. So I see it as a privilege rather than a weight of responsibility. Um, obviously, I want to do my best for them, and I want to make sure that I'm the best possible face for government, for the, pu- the public, for politicians, for the media, um, and make sure that I do a good job at it. Um, but, you know, the, the, those are stats that we've only just managed to collate because the sector's been so fragmented. So I think it's that giving them a sense of unity, giving them a sense of purpose, and making sure that they're aware that there's somebody there fighting really hard on their behalf. Um, it, it's the best job in the world. Presumably that's, that's part of your mission is, is to give uh, the, the worker in a restaurant, in a, in, a, in a pub, in a bar, a sense that they're part of a, a, an industry and they, they have uh, a lot of people on their side, as it were. Absolutely. I mean, at the starting point, we've brought together the businesses. So it's the companies that we particularly represent. Um, and it's only this year that we've managed to get most of those businesses around the same table and have one single unified voice for hospitality rather than five or six or two main trade bodies as we had last year. Um, And that's hugely beneficial because the industry talks with one voice. It becomes more grown up. Government takes it more seriously and government knows who to talk to. And prior to that, when we had lots of different trade bodies all vying to talk for hotels, for pubs, for restaurants, government found it too difficult and so they would invite nobody. And I think partly the fact that hospitality is... It's a very fragmented industry because about 90% of it are small and medium-sized enterprises. So it's the independent pubs, bars, cafes, restaurants, hotels. They're the lifeblood of our sector. And it's, it's making sure that they feel that they're part of a holistic whole as well. What are the key issues currently? If you, if you could wave a magic wand at the hospitality industry today, what are the issues that, that need fixing? Well, top of the list, whichever subsector of hospitality you talk to, whichever business of size or scale you talk to, it's people, it's the talent pipeline, it's the scarcity of labour, and it isn't a skills shortage, it's a labour shortage genuinely, so a third of our operators are reporting hard to fill vacancies, and they only fear that getting worse um, in the coming years, and, and that's partly because of, of very, very low levels of unemployment, and a, a shorter supply of uh, young people coming into the workforce. Um, after that, it's the cost pressures that are feeding through the business that are government-related regulations. So it's employment costs. About um, 50% of all operating costs are labour. So anything that affects that that line is going to have a direct impact on your profitability. And business rates, the soaring level of business rates. Hospitality was the only sector that had across-the-board increases. On average, it was 24%, but some of our members have reported four to 600% increase. And that's a large amount of uh, bill to swallow in one hit. And it's had a real impact on the bottom margin. So we're increasingly hearing people saying that you know they have virtually no margin of profitability um, and therefore they have no margin to invest or to continue to improve their business. So those are the, the top challenges. Just going to draw upon some research now mm. carried out by Brita Professional, uh, which found that uh, 49% of hospitality businesses, um, the issue of staff shortage, as we've discussed, is a really big contributing factor to stress in the kitchen. What will happen if this skills shortage continues, increases, as it's predicted to do? 
Well, I think what you're already seeing, as I say, you've got a lot of hard-to-fill vacancies, um, and those stats show that people are concerned about the level of labour shortages that we've got. We did a similar survey at UK Hospitality. We found that 92% of uh, business leaders in eating and drinking out are fearful that there will be staff shortages post-Brexit that will directly impact on their ability to grow and continue to invest. So I think it is a critical issue for the sector. Um, you mentioned the fact that it increases stress on the kitchen. I think it also increases stress in front of house. And what we're seeing is people closing off restaurant areas, small independent hotels we know are not opening their restaurants um, outside of peak hours. So what we're seeing, therefore, is, is lower consumer choice and inevitably higher consumer prices. So ultimately, it flows through to what the consumer gets. Um, we do need to make sure that we work really hard to overcome that. And there's there's a lot that the industry itself can do but fundamentally you know you've got 43 year record low unemployment in London I think short-term unemployment is below two percent nationally it's below three percent youth unemployment at 11 percent is lower than any other EU country um, so for those who, who want a job there's jobs available coupled with that we are forecast to have 200,000 fewer 18 to 24 year olds from the UK domestic market entering the jobs market by 2020 and we're not due to come out of that crunch until 2030. So, as I say, this is not skill shortage, this is labour shortage, this is bodies on the street who are available for work. That's what we've got to, to work on, and it's something that the industry can't solve itself. We need government to work with us to solve that. So, following on from that, I mean, what, what role does training schemes or apprenticeships, you know, play in, in, in filling the, the, the vacancies that, that are currently there? Well, I think there's a, a real job of work that the industry needs to do to improve its image. And, and you know, top of my list of, of objective is, is to promote the reputation of the sector as a great place to have a career to grow and to invest. Um, and, and we take that very seriously. So if we build on those apprenticeship schemes um, and we work on the, the training and provide that holistic overview of what's available, it helps to recruit people into the industry because instead of having an industry that is seen as a, a dead-end job or as seen as a stopgap job, we're seen as a place where you can start your career, be rapidly upskilled and by the age of um, you know, early 20s be a general manager in a hotel or a restaurant earning a large amount of money and significantly um, out-earning teachers, solicitors, uh, you know, army captains, etc. That's the message we've got to get across because too often at the moment what, what happens is we fail the mums test. We can attract the young people in. Young people are really interested in food. Um, there's, you know, you've never had more chef programs on television. You've got Fred doing a great job uh, demonstrating what a maitre d' does and how fantastic front of house is and how, what fun it is to work there. All too often we get mums and dads who don't think of it as a good enough career. So the industry itself, and I think that's the, the really important role that UK hospitality can play, coming together as one trade body. We've never had anything that goes out and sells hospitality to young people as a career of choice across all of the subsectors. And that's what we've got to get communicated out. Um, and that training and apprenticeships are key to that because if you're going to challenge what mums are thinking and you're going to challenge young people to think about alternatives to university you need to have those key stepping stones that are underpinned by qualifications and you need to demonstrate that you're a serious industry that will give people career progression and development. Back to the research the British Professional Research found that for workers in a professional kitchen 47% blamed unreliable equipment for causing stress and 45% attributed it to producing quality food under pressure. What do you think hospitality businesses can do to run more efficient kitchens and therefore reduce stress for workers? 
Well, I think it is about continuously investing in your product and, and your front-of-house product and the experience you offer your customers is only as good as the, the quality of the, the back-of-house kitchens. So I think it is about making sure that you have that equipment service, that you make sure that it's replaced where it's broken. That goes back to having the headroom and the ability to have something in the profit and loss account that gives you that spare capacity to do that. So these businesses can't run on empty um, and they need to be able to invest in it. Do restaurants struggle to, to keep up with changing food trends or in your experience are, are, the, are the most successful restaurants the most agile or I suppose it's a, it's a, very, it's a very diverse sector but as, as a general point do you think the industry is good enough at keeping up with public taste? Um, I think it's getting much better uh, and I think that that's where you have the benefit of sharing that knowledge and expertise across a wide range of businesses. So we bring together at some of our conferences and events everything from a single site entrepreneur in, in street feast um, and street markets right the way through to the largest chains. Now obviously something that's happening in Dinarama is probably at the cutting edge and the customers in Harvester or Mitchells and Butler or, or Hilton or um, Weatherspoons are not going to be at the same level and are not wanting the same thing. But I think you can see how trends start at those uh, cutting edge entrepreneurships and, and go all the way through to the, to the more mature markets and the more mature customers who are looking for something different. So I think, uh, you know, recently I was, I was at a conference where somebody said, you know, by the time pulled pork has made it onto the menu of a, um, a pub group, a sort of major pub group, you know that, you know, the, the next generation has moved on to the next food trend, but that's the evolution of a food trend. For those customers, it's still new and cutting edge. And I think that's where the industry really is very good at sharing knowledge and expertise and that's the role that a trade association has to play okay well let's let's talk more more broadly then it's difficult to in all these cases to sort of to make sweeping generalizations but you've alluded to to staff shortages you've you've, you've alluded to a kind of a, a need to attract more people in into the industry particularly young people but what what other issues are sort of are current hot topics within 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 your your industry oh there's a plethora um where to start well, there's a big issue of tips, trunks, how you reward workers, what the government might do that might cut across um, reward and sharing out cash tips, whether regulation will damage that. Uh, there's a whole... Is regulation <sighs> likely in that area? Just well, government did signal two weeks ago that regulation was likely, so it's been on the cards for about two, three years. Um, we've done a lot to make sure that we've got good practice promoted across the sector. We would hope, or we had hoped, that government would not legislate because there's the law of unintended consequences whenever you regulate. And now is not the time to burden this business and this industry with more costly regulations. Um, but government has said that they intend to regulate to address that issue. Um, interestingly, they've only talked about restaurants. They've not talked about hairdressers, taxi drivers, all the other areas. So, you know, I think we need to make sure that we're not being singled out unfairly. Um, the other issues of concern at the moment, obviously, with the, the, the news about PRET, allergen labelling has come back into sharp focus, and we've got a review of those regulations next year. Um, but making sure that businesses are not complacent about their allergen. Um, there was a big flurry of activity when they first came in. Making sure staff are properly briefed and trained on that is key. Um, government's also then looking at calorie labelling menu on, on menus and, and um, calorie labelling on site. They're looking at restrictions on promotions as part of the obesity challenge. The latest one we had was that they might have calorie caps um, for pizzas and pies, bizarrely, um, or, or more likely to see calorie caps on puddings. Um, and, and the complexity of how small businesses in, in our sector will cope with all of that change um, will be critical. 
Um, over and above that, you've then got latte levies, plastics taxes and bans on plastic straws. You've got um, national minimum wage enforcement around uniforms that people are grappling with. You've got changes on VAT um, and you've got changes on tax reporting. So again, it's, you know, a, a, a sector that's made up of 90% SMEs, the ability that they have to cope with all of these changes, just to get their head around what's required of them and to make the, the difference is key. That's before you get on to anything to do with alcohol um, and licensing and all of those kind of issues. Um, and in certain areas, there's a very live debate around tourism taxes and bed taxes that hoteliers are trying to get involved in. Taking a very broad view, um do you think our, our national food culture is in a good place? Is, is, is Britain a great place still to, to, to be a food lover and to be an enjoyer of an evening out with, with friends and family I, in a restaurant or pub? I think we've never been in a better place. You know, I, I mean, if you sort of go back even just 10 years... Um, Britain wouldn't have been seen as one of the leading restaurant capitals. Uh, London wouldn't have been seen as one of the leading restaurant capitals of the world. British food was was sort of mocked quite often 20 years ago, um, not in the same league as um, France. Um, when I started um, 10 years ago going out to the National Restaurant Association in America, you were seeing more cutting-edge stuff happening in Chicago where that's held, where you bring together all the foodies across America. That's where we went to learn. They now come to us. Um, and I don't think you can find any better cuisine in in um, the, the world than what's happening in the UK. We're a huge export. Our leading restaurant brands are exporting across the world, intellectual property rights, but also restaurant openings. So we're taking Wagamama and Pret across to New York, and that's being well received. You've got brands going into Dubai, India, China. So people are buying into British food in, in a way that we haven't seen before. Um, and we're a huge exporter. So we have have 24 billion pounds worth of foreign exports comes in the form of tourism people visiting us and 18 billion in foreign investment into restaurants um, in, in the UK so if you look at the leading restaurant brands they're all foreign investment backed so that's people coming in and putting their money where their mouth is so I don't think we've ever been in better shape and I think that the really telling thing um, one of the ministers last last week when we had a hospitality day in parliament that the main minister came to support us um, and he said you know it's thanks to our innovative food and drink sector that Britain's number one in soft capital in in the world uh, and that's what makes companies like Apple and Google headquarter here um, and it, it transforms neighborhoods and communities and areas like King's Cross out of all recognition. So, yeah, I, th I think we're world-class. Thanks very much for your time, Kate. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. We really enjoyed talking to Kate, and it's clear that businesses in the hospitality sector are facing a range of different challenges, including high business rates, staff shortages, stress, etc. If your business is facing similar challenges, then go to the Britta website and download our e-zine, which contains tips and advice from industry experts. Britta. Life is better filtered. <laughs>